Our Bible reading is from the second book of Samuel, chapter 1, beginning of verse 17. As we continue to reflect on incidents in the life of David, in our reading from 2 Samuel, we hear the response of David to the news of the death of Saul and Jonathan. Verse 17. David took up this lament concerning Saul and his son Jonathan, and he ordered that the people of Judah be taught this lament of the bow. It is written in the book of Joshua. A gazelle lies slain on your heights, Israel. How mighty, how the mighty have fallen. Tell it not in Gath, proclaim it not in the streets of Ashkelon, lest the daughters of the Philistines be glad, lest the daughters of the uncircumcised rejoice. Mountains of Gilboa, may you have neither dew nor rain. May no showers fall on your terrace fields. For there the shield of the mighty was despised. The shield of Saul no longer rubbed with oil. From the blood of the slain, from the flesh of the mighty, the bow of Jonathan did not turn back. The sword of Saul did not return unsatisfied. Saul and Jonathan, in life they were loved and admired, and in death they were not parted. They were swifter than eagles, they were stronger than lions. Daughters of Israel, weep for Saul, who clothed you in scarlet and finery, who adorned your garments with ornaments of gold. How the mighty have fallen in battle. Jonathan lies slain on your heights. I grieve for you, Jonathan, my brother. You were very dear to me. Your love for me was wonderful, more wonderful than that of women. How the mighty have fallen. The weapons of war have perished. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We've just heard David's lament for Saul and Jonathan, and I want to read to you another psalm of lament, which picks up a different, slightly different theme. Psalm 130, which I shall be referring to, is on page 624. Out of the depths I cry to you, Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. If you, Lord, kept a record of sins, Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness, so that we can, with reverence, serve you. I wait for the Lord, my whole being waits, and in his word I put my hope. I wait for the Lord more than the watchmen wait for the morning more than the watchmen wait for the morning. Israel, put your hope in the Lord, for with the Lord's unfailing love and with him is full redemption. 
He himself will redeem Israel from all their sins. It's appropriate today to have the title of the sermon as Learning to Lament, as we remember those who've sacrificed their lives in war, and as we honor the veterans today, and pray for all who continue to suffer as a result of warfare. That psalm that I've just read is traditionally known as a psalm of lament. And these laments are frequent throughout the book of Psalms. There are 50 lament psalms on an individual basis and 17 that relate to community lament for things that have gone on. And I want us to consider three elements of lament. The first is personal loss, as in 2 Samuel chapter 1, David was grieving for Saul and Jonathan. This psalm I've just read is about personal sin and failure, which David was particularly adept at. And thirdly, there's the lament that comes from national situations and national crises. And I would imagine these psalms are being read frequently in synagogues throughout the world today. Lament at its simplest is an expression of pain sorrow and grief. It's there in Psalm 130, verse 1. Out of the depths I cry to you, Lord. For religious Jews, lament has an important part to play in their lives, and their regular use of psalms and many rituals undertaken at the time of death highlight lament. The Kaddish, the Jewish memorial prayer, is said immediately at the time of death, and daily following the death of a parent, which helps the Jews to focus on God and to grieve. In Anglican churches, where the three-year yearly cycle of set readings and psalms is used, the congregations engage with psalms of lament regularly. And for example, Psalm 130 is read or sung every third year on the second Sunday of Pentecost. Some years ago at the Greenbelt Arts and Music Festival, I heard the Reverend John Bell from the Iona community, a Church of Scotland minister, give a talk about the loss of lament in church worship. I don't recall much of what he said, but I did find something that he wrote on the subject. In an area in which many people lament the state of politics, I've heard the word lament mentioned three times this week in relation to political issues, the precarious nature of the ecological health of the planet and the perennial misfortunes of life, there seems to be a gap in religious vocabulary. Praise songs don't do it. So, what does? In an interview in the aftermath of the Dunblane Massacre in Scotland in 1966, a minister of the Church of Scotland confessed to John Bell at a clergy conference, it was on the following Sunday, I realized that we had lost the ability to lament. So learning to lament, the first area of lament relates to personal loss. And another Psalm of lament, Psalm six, verse three, my soul is in deep anguish. How long, Lord, how long? And when we consider personal, Biblical lament, an element of complaint is consistently in view. Complaint implies that things aren't as they should be. 
Walter Brueggemann, a contemporary American Old Testament scholar specializing in the Psalms, remarks that lament has an element of complaint, claiming that it's both the starting place and central concern of lament, that life isn't right. So if we're going to learn to lament better, and if we're going to discover the grace that comes from it, we must learn how to complain the right way. As we move deeper into our relationship with our Heavenly Father, we're confronted with many paradoxes, but one in particular which often comes up uh, is the fact that if God rules over creation, why does evil seem to have the upper hand? And then another, God offers us abundant life, yet this life sometimes frequently seems to be filled with pain and sometimes with personal tragedy. How do we respond to these paradoxes? Well, some might give up trying to understand. Others will try to cover up those paradoxes by singing lots and smiling a great deal. Others will blame the paradoxes in life on their lack of faith and try harder. But there's a better way, and that's to lay these paradoxes before God in the language of complaint as the psalmists do. And Brueggemann, in his writings, identified four parts to Psalms of Lament. He didn't elaborate, but I've applied these four parts to Psalm 130, which we're going to look at. Firstly, things aren't right in the present predicament. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. When we make a complaint about something, if we bought a faulty appliance or a dodgy car, we identify someone to contact to make our complaint. In the Psalms, David directs his complaint to God. Psalm 13, how long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I have sorrow in my heart? And lamentation suggests that the person who is lamenting has a genuine grievance. Saul, in his lamentation earlier, uh, had a genuine grievance. He was grief-stricken over the death of Saul and Jonathan. For the most part, complaining is seen as a negative habit. Nobody likes complainers. But what's so good in this chapter in Samuel uh, is the fact that David is willing to openly confess his grief and do so publicly. We're told that David and the men with him took hold of their clothes and tore them. They mourned and wept and fasted, a tradition carried on today within Judaism. In the unfolding tragedies of Ukraine, Russia, and Israel-Gaza conflict and other places, the very public lament on both sides is very painful to watch. But true lament involves telling God, telling others, not keeping things to ourselves. If we bottle things up inside ourselves and talk to no one, unfortunately it just festers within us when we're feeling angry and sad and sorrowful. And far too many people are either afraid to talk with God about their suffering or refuse to talk to God or simply don't acknowledge his existence. 
We've had conversations, I'm sure many of us, with people who said, well, we pray for such and such a person to be healed. They weren't, therefore I don't believe that God answers prayer and I don't believe in God anymore. What the Psalms do is to help us to learn good complaint. Learning good complaining is understanding and knowing that in our struggles, God is right and he desires us to share our struggles with him. Um, lament means moving on from being silent to communication, telling God what's wrong. So lament also helps us to understand that telling God what's wrong isn't wrong It's in itself for hurting people. Knowing that it's okay to express these kinds of things to God can be liberating and life-giving. But it's more than exercising a series of grievances. It's a pathway to moving on, to reflecting on our feelings and our thinking, to come closer to God. Learning to lament the brokenness and losses in our lives is a health, helpful and healthy thing that we can do for ourselves and indeed for others. Learning how to come alongside others and lamenting with them is part of the spiritual development that we can experience. So telling God how we're feeling, telling him about our pain and our suffering is important. It helps us experience God's love and love from others. When the body of Christ is healthy and strong, then the life in Christ we share together includes if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all members rejoice with it. And that's certainly something we as a family have experienced ourselves in the past and indeed more recently. People we can encounter can experience life-altering tragedies and painful grief. And when we come alongside someone to listen to them in their loss, it's important to listen and not do so with judgment or trying to correct them. What they need from us is empathy and understanding. If we say to someone, I know how you feel, that's not helpful. It shuts down communication. And after the loss of our 17-year-old daughter, more than one person said, oh, well, rejoice, she's in a better place. Well, we know that. And we're grateful that as a Christian she is with God in heaven. But it ignored our emptiness, our grief, our disappointment, and yes, our anger too, that her life had been tragically ended in a freak accident. My college principal, who moved on to be Bishop of Norwich, wrote to us from his own personal experience of grief, grieve deeply for her. And Paul wrote, we do not mourn as those with no hope in Christ to sustain them in their grief. But the interesting word there is mourn. We do mourn and we must warn, mourn as Christians. And when we lament with others, it brings comfort because we refuse to pretend that everything's fine. It's not. But let's just think of lament as something to be reserved for times of loss. We can lament other things in our daily lives where there are less intense situations, the everyday griefs of life that come our way. 
situations where relationships are difficult, our children's behavior can be a problem sometimes, even grandchildren, dare I say it. When family finances are stretched, when illness takes its toll and we can't do the things that we used to do, when our experience of church can sometimes be disappointing, wherever that may be, then we can lament, honest complaint, and let it do its work in these ordinary kinds of grief as we tell God the things that we're lamenting. And when we practice lament in more common frustrations and less severe sorrows, it can bring comfort and enable us to be comforting to those going through difficult times. So, things aren't right. Secondly, things needn't stay this way. They can be changed. These psalms of lament are known as songs of ascent in the English Bible. They start off at a low point and they rise towards God. And so Paul, uh, David says here, let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. The step of honest complaint isn't meant to be an end in itself. So we must avoid getting stuck at the complaint level, which isn't healthy. If we've ever moved beyond complaint, then lament loses its purpose and its power to help and to heal us. Instead, we bring our complaints to the Lord for the purpose of moving ourselves towards him, honestly opening our hearts in complaint as a doorway to requesting God's help and expressing our trust that God will help us. Thirdly, the speaker, the writer, won't accept things as they are because they're intolerable. I wait for the Lord, my whole being waits. That's an intolerable situation David's thinking about. But in his word, I put my hope, verses 5 and 6. I wait for the Lord more than watchmen wait for the morning. You see, David's undergoing here a spiritual reorientation when his complaint leads him to a place of trusting God. Lament is part of a journey towards God and a place of trust enabling us to receive God's mercy in the midst of dark clouds. If you have time, watch Songs of Praise from last Sunday on Catch Up and you'll find there the writer of It Is Well With My Soul, which is a popular spiritual song. Uh, he lost his four daughters. And there's also an archdeacon there whose daughters were murdered in a London park, speaking very powerfully of grief and lament. But as we turn to God in prayer, not only for our personal losses, but the, the things that we find difficult and the struggles we have during the day, we can receive the mercy and help from God's grace. And fourthly, it's God's obligation to change things. David says in verse 7, Israel, put your hope in the Lord, for with the Lord is unfailing love, and with him is full redemption. He himself will redeem Israel from all their sins. Or more personally in Psalm 13, I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I sing the Lord's praise, for he has been good to me. Notice the movement of the ascent from 
the depths of despair towards God and then being able to worship God. Coming away from self-centeredness, the trap that we can fall into and being stuck in negativity towards worshipping God. So when we find ourselves drawn to God and connected to him in worship after lamenting, we can experience his help and his mercy. And the second major lament, briefly, is over personal sin and failure, as referred to here in Psalm 30. David had a track track record of uh, disobedience against God, but he still came back to God and experienced his forgiveness, most notably Psalm 51, after his affair with Bathsheba and the subsequent death of their child, he pours out his heart to God. David simply could have remained silent as a result of his shame, his fear of rejection, and being cut off from God, but he didn't. He told God all about it. Out of the depths I cry to you, Lord. Lord, if you kept a record of my sins, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness so that we can, with reverence, serve you. Notice again the progression of thought. Things aren't right, but actually God is there. And when he turns back to the Lord, he knows the Lord is redeeming him. God can handle our struggles with our own disobedience when we get things wrong. I wonder whether whether we have unconfessed sins in our hearts and our minds at this time. We're given permission, even encouragement, to lay out those issues with God, even if those struggles are with God himself. Why, Lord, is there suffering? Why is there war? We must avoid approaching God with a proud heart that demands answers with a heart that believes that God owes us. He doesn't because he's done everything for us. And through the death of Jesus on the cross, he's provided us with salvation and a mediator on our behalf. And the third area of lament is about national situations and national crisis. It's difficult not to be moved when we watch the Festival of Remembrance when those who have been bereaved enter the arena and the crowd, the audience, stand and applaud them. But the psalmist wrote this after the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple in 586 BC. Oh God, why have you rejected us forever? Why does your anger smolder against the sheep of your pasture? Remember the nation you purchased long ago, the people of your inheritance, whom you redeemed. He was crying out to God in that national crisis. And in the images from the land of the Holy One, at the moment, the grief and the sadness and suffering is palpable. And today we lament the tragedy of war and the loss of life, both of those who are combatants and innocent civilians in all the theatres of war around the world. And we ask, quite honestly, Why, Lord? Why is this happening? Albert Einstein once said, the world will not be destroyed by those who do evil, but by those who watch them without doing anything. We feel powerless as individuals, 
but in the powerlessness we feel to overcome these national situations, we're driven to lament, to pray for the world's brokenness, to ask God to hasten the day when there will be a new heaven and a new earth. I read this in conclusion. The Psalms of Lament open to us the greatness of a God who not only can hear but can also handle our pain, our self-pity, our blame, and our fear. Who can respond to our anger, our disillusionment, our guilt, and our sense of God-forsakenness in the face of life's most profound alienations and difficulties. Learning to lament. Let's put that into practice in our lives. Let's be quiet for a moment as we reflect on God's word to us today.